0: Welcome to the Turnaround Mindset podcast with your hosts, behavioral economist and psychologist Phil Slade, and successful business leader and accountant Adam Smith. In these unprecedented times, decisive and fearless leadership is critical to any business transformation. Each week, our hosts will unpack the tough and intimate questions we all face as professionals, offering no nonsense business advice to those bold enough to think and act differently. Now, here are your hosts, Phil and Adam.
1: Hi everyone, and thanks for joining us today at the Turnaround Mindset, and welcome to part three of this very special podcast series dedicated to a single topic, Thriving or Failing at Business, What Makes the Difference? Today, we're here to talk about principle four and principle five in how to successfully execute a business turnaround.
2: Over the last two episodes, we've talked at length about principle one, making sense of the chaos, and then principle two, improving transparency uh, in the financial and operational data of the business, and finally, principle three, creating a responsible and accountable culture. At this point in the turnaround, you will have developed a plan for the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, you will have to determine what financial problems need to be solved, and you'll have enabled key staff to make responsible decisions in accordance with the turnaround strategy. Mm. So your focus now needs to be directed towards reshaping the organization for success going forward. Mm. So let's kick off today's podcast looking at principle four, governance reorganization, mm. the sexiest topic on the planet, <laughs> governance reorganization.
1: <laughs> Look, um... Phil, it is worth acknowledging here. This is not an easy topic to unwind. You know, when you're reshaping and restructuring an organisation, there's a lot of considerations that need to be made. You know, first and foremost, you need to consider the ownership structure of the business. Mm. Now, it can be a real problem. You know, when the owners of the company also have a formal title or role in the business, AKA they aren't just shareholders; they actually hold an executive position. And you generally find this in small you know, to medium enterprises, you know. It's also about acknowledging how complex the existing corporate governance arrangements are internally. You know, what what we're talking about here is something along the lines of, you know, who can sign off and who has the authority to sign off new projects, you know, new expenses, new endeavours. What are the existing delegation authorities in place? And another one to consider is, you know, how decentralised is the business? You know, we're talking about, you know, during a time when the pandemic occurred, you know, different states We're facing, you know, different restrictions, management structures were established to sort of mitigate problems there here and around Australia. You know, that sort of thing, when you're considering how you should reshape and change management structures, what's the impact going to be of that restructure?
2: yeah and you you need to consider external considerations as well right? Yeah, of so course. those are the lending monitoring requirements from banks and investors, for yeah. instance, and things like that this is This is a minefield mm-hmm. um, because it's you're you 're looking at the very top of the organization um, again, very emotional um, power laden structures and individual egos you need to be navigated very carefully a lot of the time with these sorts of these sorts of things, you know. Mm. And, and monitoring the investor situation can be really interesting, right, because the, one of the reasons that they've invested in the first place is based on the experience of the leadership team mm. that you're now disrupting, mm, you know. That's right. Um, so if the business is downsizing or taking a different direction, which leads to redundancy and redeployments, whatever, matters will need to be treated really carefully with both internal and external stakeholders. Yeah, yeah
1: that's right, Phil. There is real method in the madness here, you know, mm-hmm. like in a turnaround, you know, decisions that we're making about an organization's restructure or decisions about specific employees or divisions that may be made redundant as a result of this turnaround. Yeah, you know, they're generally based on ensuring the long-term survival of the company. You know, first and foremost, that's why we're here, you know. If these changes aren't made, then there may not be a business in three to six months' time. Right. It
2: becomes very academic then, right? It does. Mm. And we, you know, all know that in any turnaround there will be casualties. Yep. Uh, and some disgruntled employees, it's gonna happen. Mm. You can't avoid it. However, if steps have been taken to uh, taken early to properly communicate the reasons why these changes are occurring, back in principle one, mm-hmm. um, generally you'll find that the business will understand why this structure needs to reoccur, and they'll be championing some of these changes. In reshaping the company, um, most turnarounds do require organisational structures to be flattened generally uh, by removing layers of management. That's just... Mm-hmm. That's just, the just what happens. Yeah. The successful reorganization of people can reduce costs, open up internal information flows, increase mobility. Um, and it's a really interesting point here. This is about creating a leaner organization, not an emaciated one. Mm. You know, I think the, the, it's not just about losing staff in order to gain efficiencies. This is about, you, you know, in a body you want to lose fat not muscle and fat. Mm. You're trying to keep your muscle, build your muscle, and lose your fat. Uh, and it's not just about cutting. Um, uh, it's one of the key principles of lean. So, yeah. as a turnaround leader, you need to implement structures that will keep new business model nimble enough to compete, strong enough to compete. Yeah. Uh, Flat flatter structures help to reduce the filtering effect uh, of you know hierarchy, and they they actually help facilitate mobilization through a shorter. Uh, Shorter chain of command and trust, like it's a way of pushing those decision rights externally and trusting your employees to make the right decisions at the right time for the right customers.
1: What you were talking about before about cost cutting, you know, I agree with you there. And I say, but, and I put a capital B in front of that one. Any restructure or redeployment decision made in the short term, you know, you need to consider whether this will benefit the business Mm
0: -hmm. in -hmm. the
1: longer term. You know, Mm -hmm. what, what I'm saying here is. You need to ensure you have the right workforce in place to not only weather the storm in a downturn, you've also got to have the right workforce in place during recovery, you know, when the sun is out and it's time to make hay, yeah, so to speak, too many companies cut staff, you know, to save costs without really understanding the long-term ramifications of those mm-hmm. decisions, you know, in their haste to save money, uh, you know, some of their best people and and obviously the intellectual property that those people hold. You know, it may be walked out the door and, you know, it's not until months later when the smokes died down that they really recognize what they've done. You know, too many businesses start to recover and then what they actually find is that they no longer can deliver the outcomes for their customers because they no longer have the expertise in their business. Mm. You know, any resizing of an organization, you know, it should be made to match future work commitments, you know, as well as having the skeleton team in place should the business need to scale up if recovery is achieved.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And I mean the the muscle that you need with the organisation in order to be able to do what you need to do in order to thrive, right? Often in a restructure, particularly if you're offering redundancies, the people that take the redundancies are the ones that are confident and competent enough to go get a job somewhere else, mm-hmm. right? So you end up losing, you end up, and sometimes you end up restructuring based on titles in roles and not valuing actually what the people do Uh, in positions that are outside of those roles and you're really working hard to understand the true value of the people to the organisation and make sure that you're keeping as many of the good people as possible and losing... As much of the dead weight as possible, mm-hmm. irrespective of titles and how much it makes sense, is so important. It's really hard. The bigger the company is, the harder that is, right? Mm. Um, it's almost impossible as soon as you get over 20,000 people. But it is possible. You've just got to take the time to to do it and to think about it. So how do we um, do? How do we do that, Phil? Well, what we are saying here is that in any restructure, the turnaround leader needs to critically assess the resources, mm. the capabilities, and the opportunities across the business. Mm. This organisational assessment uh, is really best carried out by the turnaround leader in conjunction with the task force that we spoke about back in part two. Yep. To ensure the new structure aligns with a written plan that has been communicated across the business that we talked about in part one, this is a critical point in the turnaround because if the new structure and responsibilities do not reflect the new business strategy, confusion and a degree of morale will almost certainly fall off the edge of the planet. Yep.
1: Oh, look, I understand the decrease in morale, you've really got to watch that, you know. I think another thing, Phil, you know, in parallel with the right sizing of an organisation, you know, the turnaround leader will need to look at the existing management and operational processes in place, you know, and whether they support the turnaround strategy for the business. You know, I think of this as a way of killing two birds with one stone in the sense that, you know, to stay nimble and competitive you will most likely need to modify and improve the workflows that exist across your business and how you deliver your products to reduce your costs. Mm. So, you know, for example, you know, innovating more of what you do. So through technology and initiatives such as, you know, standardizing and automating the services, you know, will generally result in less labor time if they're done correctly, you know, and when you've actually worked out those areas that may not require as much labor, you know, you can actually highlight what parts of the organization you don't necessarily need to hold on to going forward in the future. Mm. By increasing efficiency and producing more from the new organizational structure or your existing team, so to speak, gives the business the opportunity to improve pricing and margins and in the right instances be able to pass the savings on to their customers.
2: Essentially what we're talking about here is creating a lightning focus Mm. for the organization and 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 recognizing where there are parts of the organisation that just don't feed into that narrative and yes. that strategy, it's you've, you just got to be you just blinkered focus on the strategy once you've once you've decided what to do, you've just got to go and do it. Yep. Um, I think it's also worth noting that whatever decisions are made, whether it be restructuring or organisational processes, the turnaround leader should remain very hands on. Yep, um, as almost all clusters of activity within the business will now likely report directly to that turnaround leader. As confidence in the structure starts to increase, you know, when you have small wins, when people are able to see the path forward and start to really believe that this new strategy will be um, uh, a strategy to win, and that happens both internally uh, and with external stakeholders, the turnaround leader can then begin to instruct senior management to redefine the work. assign reporting responsibilities and drive outcomes directly in line with their respective teams. Yeah, look, it's just giving autonomy back to some of these
1: people. You know, once you've actually proved the strategy works, that's when it's actually the right time to sort of take your hands off, so to speak, as a turnaround leader and start to empower more of the management team to do that. So as improvements are being made to the organisational structure and to the business processes, I think it's time we took a look at Phil's favourite principle, (laughs) principle five, communication and connection
2: now i know we've talked about a written plan and i know in principle one we talked about how to initially communicate the reason for the change Um, but the development and implementation of a communication strategy is vital in building trust and bringing change to a business Mm. Um, all communications should be straightforward clear and, authoritative. and in principle one, we do talk through the APSI process and I encourage you to listen to that because that is the key to clear, effective communication strategies, activate, partner, strategize, implement, you know, all communications need to be have that a straightforward clearness to them. Yep. Honesty and home truths must be at the heart of those communications, right? Mm. If people, if it's not authentic, people will sniff it thawnti- in authenticity yep. and just disregard it. Um, it's also really important that the key messages are limited to no more than three or four at a time, yep. uh, as you want to keep those communications consistent, whatever the audience you're talking to, and you you need to avoid. What we call cognitive overwhelm in this space. It's better to communicate more regularly and have shorter communications than to try to bundle up big communications uh, and and try to hit them you know once or twice. You know you need to really make sure that you drip feed the communications in clear and precise ways yep. uh, and targeted to the audience that you're turning uh, that you're talking to. Yep. Um, so in a turnaround, it's important. I would say it's imperative that the management team are given regular opportunities to provide performance updates on their various spheres of control within the business and to give employees a real sense of what's going on. Yes. You know, they need to be a part. They need to feel a part of the team. They can't feel like people are making decisions up there and I'm just getting the cascade of the communication. They need to feel like they're part of the turnaround.
1: No, I I think for me, it's that feeling of being informed. Yeah, you uh, yeah. That's what the majority of staff are looking for. They've heard the vision, they've read the written plan, they're seeing changes being made in the business. Momentum is actually on the rise. You know, we're starting to see a positive shift in what's occurring. They need to stay informed. They need to know that they're still on track and things are moving in the right direction. So that's the comms and connection internally. But what about mending relationships and restoring confidence with customers, Mm -hmm. especially your long-term, loyal customers in the market? You know, Bill Gates once said, you know, your most unhappy customers are generally your greatest source of learning (laughs) in that early turnaround stage there's going to be a certain amount of sort of cap in hand style conversations that need to occur with your best customers you know there'll be customers out there also that may be happy with what you're delivering for them but they may have been hearing rumors in the market about how solvent the business is or you know that the The company that you're with is no longer going to be trading in this particular market or industry. You've actually got to go and silence the rumors. You've actually got to put customers back on track again in terms of understanding really what the position is of the business. You know, so what I've found is that whatever state of relationship you have with your customer, it's so important to be transparent with them about where you are as an organization. You know, messaging is pretty straightforward that the past is the past, you know, and we can only apologize for any problems that have occurred to this point. Mishaps, you know, they may have occurred, but what we're actually going to do is we're looking forward now. We're taking steps. We're taking action to really improve and rectify the issues that have occurred in the business. You now, we're improving performance and efficiency, and as a customer, you stand to benefit from not only a better product or service going forward.
2: So I often talk about building confidence by referring back to my former life as a, as a music producer. Back in my early 20s, I used to produce albums. The first thing was uh, in building confidence with that person was I always kept my criticism really specific, whether it be criticism about myself or them, and praise really general. Criticism is specific because it gives you something to improve on. You know what to improve to make things better. It's got to be specific. If you do general criticism, they go, oh, that's fine, but I don't know what to do with that. So... It kind of get depressed and uh, there's no confidence there. With praise, you keep praise general mm. because if you keep praise specific for someone else, they'll feel performance pressure and they'll never be able to do it again the same way. Um, and if you specifically praise yourself, you just look like an e- egotistical asshole, right? Your praise is general. Like, yeah, I'm actually really good at, at producing albums. Not really sure why. I just think it's a general connection thing. The things that I need to improve are A, B, and C. You know, these are where I have trouble. And people gain confidence in that sort of thing. Criticism, specific, praise, general. The second thing that we actually do is Uh, or that i did was make sure i deliver on what i said Mm -hmm. you know so in the short term it's it's a yes it's building trust but as a customer Building in intentionally building in things that you can deliver on quickly is a, is a is a an evidence of trust. So particularly when you're like key clients, you can do that. You can have that conversation where you say, "Yeah, we're, we're going through a rough drop, but this is what we're doing this week. This is what we're doing tomorrow, and by by two weeks' time, we'll be able to do that." And they can start to track that, and then they have confidence in the long game. And the long game is the third one because you need them that they need to believe that you're in their journey for the long game. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was producing an album. Uh, the artists, if they wanted to jump out of the the production cycle and go get another producer, that's fine. Yeah, it's completely up to them. But I never dropped a ball, and they never they they always needed to feel that I would never. I was always there for them, right to the end of that journey. And to me, those three things were the things that really built trust and confidence. And I found the same principles happen when you're building trust with a customer base from a business as well.
1: Mm. Yeah, look, having stood in the turnaround leader role many times in my career one of the things about you know providing honesty and transparency to your customers at the end of the day they've got their own businesses to run what mm, you're providing mm. to them mm. is one cog in the chain you know mm, they mm. they need to be able to know that if they say i need 50 units by this date mm. i need this report done by this date mm. they need to have confidence that even if you have fallen on tough times and you are making improvements and taking steps They want to actually see, you know, the proof's got to be in the pudding. Mm -hmm. You've actually got to start delivering on what you said you would. Mm. And I've generally found, okay, transparency around where you are, how and what you're doing to change the business is great, but you've got to make sure that you're hitting your targets. Mm. You know, regular updates with your customers is a really great way, whether that's just a phone call first thing at the start of a week, uh, whether it be a report, a dashboard, whatever it might be that actually shows how you're tracking against your target is just another way to sort of say, look, we said that we were going to do this. We are on track. We are going to deliver. We look forward to actually delivering this product to you in the next couple of weeks. Hmm. I think just one final point I wanted to highlight on this one, Phil. It's, it's it's a little bit out of left field, but you know, I've worked with some very passionate management teams in my career, and some of those teams have always put the customer's needs first, no matter what. Now, whilst I agree to a certain extent, this is a great philosophy, if it's not managed well, it can actually work to the detriment of the business. Now, in a lot of cases, it means the difference between getting the job done for customers, no matter the cost, versus delivering profitable projects for the business that still achieve the customer's needs. You know, this was generally an education piece that was needed, not only with internal staff, but also with customers who'd grown accustomed to having their needs met, even if it meant that the business Who was actually meeting those needs was losing money you know it's these types of situations that can actually contribute to the downfall suffered by the business Mm, in the first mm -hmm. place you know in a turnaround situation you know hopefully not too many organizations have to ever face one but when you're at that point it does give businesses the opportunity to wipe the slate clean to set clear expectations with your customers up front and shift that internal culture of the business towards saying yes to profitable work where service quality will not be sacrificed.
2: Yeah, and I think it's it's the trap here is that a business starts to fail and they, they sort of panic and try to squash as much value back into the client to try to get the clients back and they think by giving more stuff away that the clients are more likely to come to them and it's a fallacy. It's not actually the way that works, Right. The the reality here is you need to be sensitive to the winds of change but also sensitive to what your customers actually need and will value and therefore pay for.
1: So there you have it, folks. We've come to the end of part three of this very special podcast series looking at principle four, governance reorganization, and principle five, communication and connection.
2: Join us next week for the final chapter of this four-part series where we delve into principle six and principle seven of thriving or failing at business. What makes the difference? See you then.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Turnaround Mindset Podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please head over to iTunes, Google, or Spotify, hit subscribe, and share the podcast with someone you think would benefit from it. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating. To download this episode and access other relevant content, please visit our website, www.theturnaroundmindset.com. Join us next week for another Turnaround Mindset episode, and remember... The only way it gets better for you is when you get better.